What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we are here. uh, It is September 21, as we record this. And earlier this week, we released the Baseball America's 2022 final, the final update to Baseball America's 2022 recruiting class rankings. So that is the high school and junior college players who arrived on campus this fall final Final ranking of, uh, of those classes, you can find that over at BaseballAmerica.com, the full 25 and the full, very in-depth breakdowns, uh, all of that over, over at BaseballAmerica.com. We're going to uh, gonna get into those rankings today uh, and talk a little bit about the, uh, the newcomers in, in college baseball. So always an exciting time to, uh, to look at the, the new freshman class coming in and, and see how how things are stacking up for the next uh, the next few years there. Uh, so yeah, Joe, we're uh, we're excited about that. It's uh, it's a nice fall is starting this week officially, and you know you've got some fall games going on around the country. The weather's starting to get a little more chilly. Like we're we're college football keeps rolling on, NFL keeps rolling. On. We're we're into fall. I, I think we're comfortable saying we're into fall. I think that's I think that's right. My uh, my wife has has been on a steady diet of the uh, she's not a pumpkin spice latte person per se but she she enjoys various although she does have a pumpkin spice latte or two it, it's more like you know she just like coffees with pumpkin and spiced flavors in them and all that kind of stuff so that that's kind of an official official start although we do have like a last gasp of summer here in durham i think the high uh thursday this week is 94 but then <laughs> the high the next day is like 77 or something so that's going to be a real precipitous yeah, drop there's I definitely can't... a cold front coming through from the midwest like it's hitting and then moving east like that that's a real thing everywhere east on the east side of the country i think i can't wait for my joints to hurt when the temperature drops like 40 degrees within the span of in the span of 24 hours my that's that's the age i am also i'm now I don't know how my, uh, this is the first podcast post knee surgery for me. The, the one you heard a couple of weeks ago was in the can, uh, before my knee surgery, which is the magic of show business. Go <laughs> to that one early. Um, yeah. So now with, I don't know, maybe with my knee surgery, maybe that will, with things cleaned up a little bit, uh, maybe that won't, I won't be quite so sensitive to that stuff, but what I am sensitive about with my knee surgery that I did not anticipate was, Procedure went fine. It was a, a scope for lack of a better way of putting it. So, you know, within a couple of days, I was up and moving around okay, gingerly, but pretty good. And now I've been up and, you know, I can go grocery shopping and stuff like that. I'm not back to doing, you know, physical activities really yet, running and, and things of that nature. But uh, so the, that part has actually been kind of okay. The the part I did not anticipate though is they I, they have to shave my leg 
to get to my knee, right? Because I hairy legs. Um, but they shaved like a lot. So it's like probably I'm looking at my knee now, like probably five or six inches above the knee and below the knee. So we're talking about a lot of skin there. And now it's growing back and it's kind of itchy. And so like that's really the situation that has been most troublesome right now is um because I had never I, I'm not a competitive swimmer. I had never shaved my legs before. And so that 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 area is not used to having to grow the hair. So now it's a little bit irritated. Um, so Joe's dealing with that, but um, I don't know what were we talking about. I just got off on a, a little bit of a tangent there, but <laughs> we were, that's, we were that's, on fall. That's, 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 uh, that's, that's right. We that's right. That's yeah. That's how Joe's we were doing. on three and O Duke against three and O Kansas this weekend in Lawrence. Cause that's really what I want. Oh my about. goodness. I, if that game was in Durham, I might've found a way to get out there. You know, if that game was in Durham, just to drive out and, and see that there's a decent amount of that in college football this year where you've got, I mean, those are good stories. Like I have a sneaking suspicion that Kansas is not going to go 12 and zero, but I have a sneaking suspicion. Like, Kansas looks real enough and Houston who they beat last week is a talented enough team that that's not, that's not in West Virginia too. I mean, those are not completely just, those are talented teams. Kansas feels real enough that we might look up at the end of the year and being like, Oh, that, that, that team was eight and four or nine and three or something like that would not shock me. Like, it looks like they have a dude at quarterback and like they've got some things working there. That was a, that was a fast, turn around there and, and it's kind of like th- to, to take it back to baseball for a second and try to steer the ship in the right direction. Like we talked about Kansas's transfer class in baseball and, and you and I have talked about the Kansas job when they, when that job turned over in the off season and Dan Fitzgerald took over that like, Kansas basketball, I mean, you're never going to be Kansas basketball. Like that's, that is what it is. And it's a established brand and, and all that, but you know, it's a, those KU is a, a, a desired good university that has some history and, that the, you know, kids want to go there. It's, you know, in, in theory, you know, that that place could be successful, but we look at their football and baseball programs for so long and see the struggles and we, we define them by their struggles. And, but the football program is kind of showing a way forward that, Hey, you know, you, you know, you, you recruit well and put a couple classes together and, you know, things like this, things like this can happen. And that's kind of, I think, uh, as we talk about recruiting and rebooting rosters and all of that kind of stuff, I mean, that is the promise of what, you know, even if you're not recruiting at the tip top five-star level, which KU football is not, I assume. Um, actually, I know for certain. I'm not a recruit, Nick, but I can tell you that for certain. They're not recruiting at the top of the sport, but you get the right kind of guys and you can kind of turn a ship around. It doesn't doesn't take as long as it used to in a world where players in all sports, but baseball included, are more ready for college than they've really ever been. Um, and also you have the transfer portal and junior college player you have just so many places to pull players from that that something like what KU football is doing this year can be done in baseball and we've had if we had time to think about it we could probably come up with some examples um but I think it does show a little bit of a way forward that it it, this is not a situation where you're going to need four or five six years if you start moving in the right direction this is Lance Leipold's second season in front of uh, in charge of Kansas football so what I'm hearing Joe is that you're saying 2024 Jayhawks regionally bubble watch like like bubble watch for for regionals on on the diamond with with that's under exactly. Dan Fitzgerald. That's that's what I'm hearing. That's that's verbatim what I said. Yeah, that's right. That's I mean, hey, you look. I mean, I, like they there are challenges. Like let's the facilities behind you know within the, the certainly within the Big Twelve, especially in a Big Twelve where some schools have have built recently. But 
there are challenges there, but like, you know, it's Kansas we're talking about, you know, like that's a, that's a brand like the kids and kids who grow up in Kansas city, which is a very good prep baseball hotbed. Um, just ask Arkansas, um, kids grow up in Kansas city wanting to go to KU and that's powerful. Like it's not now they, they don't know KU baseball as having been anything super successful, but that's very powerful to be a program in a place where kids grow up wanting to go to your school, because all it's going to take is the smallest spark to kind of get that thing going. So anyway, that, that obviously is a tangent. We're not here to talk KU baseball, but like it is related to recruiting. There are some places where you there, all it takes is kind of a spark to ignite something. And then the success starts to, to build on itself. And in recruiting is, is the lifeblood of that. Well, Dan Fitzgerald is the new head coach of Kansas. Uh, previously, he was the assistant coach and the recruiting coordinator for LSU. And yeah, we worked it all the way back. And there we go. And LSU has the number one recruiting class this year. It's the third time in the 23-year history of the, the rankings that LSU brings in the number one class. Um, first time since 2018. And this class is like a behemoth. In, in many respects. And I, uh, you, you might see a headline like LSU number one recruiting class. And you think like, Oh, of course, Tommy white and Paul Skeens. Like we, we should, I should say this explicitly, like none of the transfers that for none of the classes we're going to talk about today, transfers did not mean four year transfers did not factor into these recruiting rankings. Joe ranked the 25 recruiting, the, the top 25 recruiting classes already. Um, we just, left transfers as a part of that this is just what i i like to call now traditional recruiting classes and that means junior college players and primarily high school players so lsu brings in the number one class with those players they have four players who were rated as top 100 draft prospects last year and again to be clear here when we say draft prospect we mean everyone that was eligible for the draft uh, so they have four players that were rated as top 100 draft prospects that I believe is a record. Like I've struggled to verify that because when you rank recruiting classes for 23 years, like various systems get employed and different writers are responsible for it. And we don't all catalog things in the exact same ways, but from what I can tell, no recruiting classes ever brought in that many players who who had that kind of draft pedigree um ucla had three last year three has been done four i believe is novel and uh so that it's got impressive depth at the top it's a deep class overall there's just a lot of talent in it and that all of that happens despite the fact that lsu lost five recruits to the draft um that includes you know a, a couple first round picks like they, but they lost five players from this recruiting class that that signed and went pro following the draft and they still brought in as much talent as they did and, and it's still the number one class in the country and that is really impressive because on signing day last year Vanderbilt had the number one class Vanderbilt and LSU were a close one two well Vanderbilt also Vanderbilt lost five like day one picks or first round picks I'd have to look at my notes again. And, you know, they, they drop a little bit because of that. They, they still have a top 10 class, but you know, they, they do fall LSU lost five recruits. Now they weren't 
as high profile, obviously, as, as the Vanderbilt group, but they uh, they they still were able to put together the, this number one class, and uh, it's really a testament to uh, the the depth that they had to begin with that they were able to sustain that kind of loss and and still have the elite talent at the top and the overall depths of the class that they do. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the part that really floored me reading some of the reading, you know, what you wrote about these classes is that teams that have that kind of attrition in their class, just don't, don't maintain that kind of ranking as, as you detail there. And usually I would assume the team that's number one in, in the final recruiting classes post draft, is often a team that kind of got through the draft and kind of maybe, you know, um, got, got away with some things in terms of, I don't mean that a bad way. I just mean, got, got some players to campus. They didn't expect and LSU did, you know, Jaden Newt chief among them, but they, they had some attrition. And so it's just, it does speak to the depth of the class, which is kind of an interesting, this class is going to be interesting to monitor over the next several years, because what kind of, blankets over recruiting classes in general is the realization. And I I think you and I have talked about this before is that it's important to kind of understand what we're talking about when we talk about recruiting classes. And and you see this when you re-rank the recruiting classes, however many years later is that in a tip, even the best recruiting classes, you're looking to get a couple of stars out of it, a couple of solid contributors, and then maybe a smattering of a couple more players who contribute at some point or another. And then most of the class is going to end up being filler at best. And so with this class being as deep as it is, that's going to be interesting to watch because we have to assume, right? Maybe next year's class is a little smaller for LSU, but maybe not. They're going to continue because Jay Johnson is the recruiter he is. They're going to continue to recruit the highest of the high-end talent they can get. I have to assume they're going to continue to play in the transfer portal they're going to keep bringing in class after class. It's like the Kentucky basketball situation, right? Where it's like, if you're not a real dude right away at Kentucky basketball, like you're going to get, you know, recruited over and like, you're just going to get beat out and stuff like that. I mean, baseball is a little different than that because you have such a bigger roster and there are little roles that players can take, but that will be an interesting thing to, to watch is does this class break the mold in terms of, you know, having four five, six real stars come out of it does the depth end up being, do they end up having, you know, a dozen guys who are big time contributors at some point in their career at LSU? I mean, so will this class, when we look at it four years down the road, have looked fundamentally different? Or do we find out that just the numbers are such when you look at the following recruiting classes, the fact that you can really only between pitchers and position players, you've really only got like 15 guys who are like really contributing as uh, the, the main core are those limitations such that you can just never have a recruiting class that provides that greater level of depth? Or again, does this class completely break the mold in a way that we've not seen? And I, I believe either end of that spectrum, I think. It's uh, also interesting. Um, and like, I don't want to go terribly far down the road that I'm about to start taking us down. Um, but AM in football this year brought in the number one ranked recruiting class and uh, by some accounting, that was maybe the best recruiting class of like the modern era, however they define that in football recruiting terms. And obviously, there was a lot of discussion about how AM arrived at such a recruiting class. Uh, but that's not the point that I'm interested in here. It's just the idea that, okay, well, they brought in all that talent. Uh, what about the transfer portal? Like, how 
give it two years, how many players are in college station? And I mean, that's just where we are in college sports right now. That that is a thought. Um, LSU brought in two very highly regarded catchers, actually three pretty highly regarded catchers. Uh, and catcher is obviously a position where only one at a time can play. And like, you know, some of them have the athleticism to play elsewhere, but you know, that is a very specific position. And so like what, what happens with those guys and um, you know, with pitching, you can never have enough of it. Right. But also there are still only three weekend spots and I, you know, so you, you do wonder uh, and maybe it, you just have to collect as much talent as you can in this world and let the chips fall where they may uh, in the end. But it's going to be interesting to see how various approaches get taken uh, by, by coaches as they build recruiting classes. And then also, yeah, in the process that I do four or five years down the road, where did these classes end up and how many of these players played massive roles and how many players played pretty good roles for some other team, you know, that all of that is, uh, is going to be interesting to see, but in the immediate, there's no reason for LSU to, to be thinking about that. You can just dream right now. Like this is September of most of these players freshman year. Like you could dream any dream you want on them. This is when they have the most upside. Uh, everyone's feeling very good about them and, and you can feel very, very good about this, uh, this LSU class. Yeah, dream a dream indeed, uh, Lay Miz style. Is that right? Is that Lay Miz? I, I think so. Yeah, I feel I'm letting it down. I feel like I'm the musical guy on this pod, and I just anyway. I, so I, I promise I won't take us further down this road. But you just touched on something that I find fascinating. I will just sum it up, kind of to say this: in this world of the transfer portal, because you're hitting on something, and, and and let's let's be clear, we're talking about the upper level of college because at the, at the mid major and below level, you still kind of like, yes, there are different challenges in the mid-major level where it's like you 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 find an under-recruited guy and he pops in year one and he wants to go to the SEC, understandably, after that year. Like all, But setting that aside, it's just a different concern. At the top level of college recruiting, though, in these power conferences, the question I have is how do you recruit, how do you recruit your role players? Because you have to have them, or at least in theory, I guess if you have you know, a lineup of, of all, all SEC players, then I guess your bench doesn't matter that much, but LSU baseball part, in 2022 is trying to right, challenge that assertion. We're going to find out. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, I, I'm fascinated. How do you recruit your role players? Because on paper, you need them. You need a fourth good bullpen arm. You need a second catcher. Maybe you need a, you know, there's going to be an injury. You need somebody who can ably fill in like all of that stuff, but it's going to be harder to recruit those role players because now you can kind of carve out places in a recruiting class for those kinds of guys who you might say, okay, this kid is not a 2023 guy in terms of when he plays, he's maybe a 24 guy. And there probably are some players, maybe they're not big time draft prospects. Maybe they're preferred walk-ons, whatever it is, who will be available to fill those roles. But I think it gets harder for sure because that, that guy who's a, a BA 500 guy who maybe wasn't a super elite prospect, you know, he's 400 on the BA 500, a guy, but not a elite guy. That kind of player though, is maybe not inclined to wait around. And that's not me saying anything that hasn't been thought about, but I do think it is interesting in the, in, in the context of you can recruit stars, 
who are going to play right away and be real dudes for you from day one. How adept though, are these staffs at recruiting your depth in a way that allows you to hold on to a guy so that you have experience depth down the road? Or is that what the portals for? I mean, that's, you know, just kind of an interesting question to monitor as we, as we go along. No doubt about that. And you know, the, the other interesting thing about this LSU class is that the way it was put together, you know, because uh, pulmonary retires at the end of the 2021 season and baseball recruiting is still on a very aggressive early period. That means a lot of these players committed to that staff. Well, that staff's all gone. Um, then Jay Johnson gets hired and some of the guys actually like had to recommit to him that they had reopened their recruiting because, you know, they didn't know him. And, um, you know, so a couple of them do recommit to, to him, um, he adds some with his first staff of Jason Kelly and Dan Fitzgerald, who both now this last summer were hired away to be head coaches. So the group that's there now, like Jay is still there, uh, but, but he has new assistant coaches. So the, the guys that, that are in this recruiting class, um, you know, are going to be coached by Wes Johnson. Like that's a, a huge selling point for LSU moving forward, but they didn't commit to that. Um, and so it, it's kind of just interesting to see how this, how the evolution of this, this whole class comes together, uh, and to think about what LSU might be able to do going forward, uh, with their new staff, not that the old staff was bad or not good at recruiting in any way. Um, you know, but they hired Josh Jordan away from Duke and Josh Jordan was the, uh, the assistant coach of the year in 2018 and Wes Johnson, uh, of course, has Omaha experience as a pitching coach and also has big league experience as a pitching coach. Uh, you know, so that those guys really know what they're doing in terms of coaching and recruiting. And um, Jay Johnson is an incredible recruiter himself. I guess what I'm getting at here is this probably is just the start of something for LSU on the recruiting trail. Indeed, sure seems that way. Um, but yeah, that's that's and you know, I, I think, um, feels like we're entering just kind of a new era a little bit in general in recruiting. You know, I, I guess I should, I started to say this and maybe I, you know, maybe I'm now questioning a little bit, but it does feel like we kind of are entering a world where we're talking about, okay, the transfer portal is one thing. I think that changes recruiting a little bit. Um, but we're also looking at a future where, you know, the scholarship, you know, limitation maybe gets lifted or increased or whatever it is. And maybe we'll have extra coaches down. It just feels like we kind of are on the precipice of some floodgates being opened in the way, maybe not all of college baseball, but certain programs in college baseball are able to recruit. So it is kind of now, obviously LSU does not have those benefits right this minute, but they're pulling in a class like that. And it does kind of lead you to, to, to think about programs like LSU and others, particularly in the SEC, um, would be able to do in a in a future that we are looking at in terms of some of the, the legislation stuff coming down the pike. All right, so LSU is number one. Um, that, that is that is, like we said, it's uh, not only the number one class this year, but it's a highly impressive class if you just rate it historically as well. Uh, we're going to get to some of the other classes in that top twenty five in a second, but first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. All right, so LSU number one, Ole Miss, the reigning champs, number two. They actually made a really significant move up the rankings since signing day. Um, part of that was just good luck in the draft. Part of it was that some of their players had good springs and just got better. The players are allowed to do that. Um, Louisville, though, uh, is who I kind of want to talk about here. At number three, the Cardinals are no stranger to putting together prominent classes under Dan McDonald. Uh, this is the highest ranked class in program history, however. I mean, just barely, but it's the highest ranked class in program history. And uh, I mean, it, it comes at a time uh, coming off of I, th- these guys were recruited largely coming off of the Brendan McKay success, all those Omaha trips that the Cardinals took at the time. And, you know, so that all of that paid some dividends here on the trail. And it's uh, it's an impressive group that Louisville has coming in and one that. You know, we think highly of Louisville looking at next year, but there's also room for some of these players to come in and, and make an immediate impact. So I am I'm excited to see how how that works out for them. Yeah, same here. I, I think when we talk about feeling like on the, being on the precipice of something or we, we talk about the the directionality of some of this stuff, it, it does feel like this is a, a Louisville program in the big picture that is also on the um, on the bounce back up. Right. I mean, they you know, haven't been to Omaha in a couple, and like that's that's just the standard Louisville set. They haven't really been Omaha contenders. They got to a super regional last year. I guess that's maybe not being quite fair to them, but um, but I say that to say like that they are heading back in the, a positive direction and building towards something that that might look a little bit like the the Louisville uh, machine that we had seen before. And and they they continue to do a good job as we've talked about before. It being a a you know. Uh, not just a recruiting program, but a development program. And there was a whole class of guys, especially in the lineup last year that really kind of embody that guys who were went from role player to star 
um, throughout, throughout the course of their three or four years on campus. But, but I, I look at them being ranked where they are here in this, in this uh, top 25 and, and do think that that is a sign that, Hey, okay. Like maybe this is a move back towards um, this team has not been far off. Let me be clear the last couple of years, but they were a step behind what the standard had been set there at Louisville. And perhaps this is a, a signal of what's to come for the Cardinals and becoming the type of team that is, that is back to competing for, for national titles and getting back to being a program that I think we all looked around at. If you looked up in, you know, 2018 or 2019 and kind of looked around and thought like, yeah, this, this team is going to win a national title sometime pretty soon. It's just a matter of when, um, like I said, they've, they, they stepped back from that a little bit, but now perhaps they are getting back in that direction. It was tight, uh, between Ole Miss and Louisville for number two and number three. I, uh, I'm not going to be surprised if you look up and Gavin Killian is the uh, number number one recruit in this class. If he or Will Veerling, who's a catcher, also from those two guys are from Wisconsin, and they just read like the kind of players that Louisville is, turns into stars there. Uh, they have a couple guys, uh, Patrick Forbes and Tucker Biven, who were two-way, are, could be two-way players, but probably going to explode on the mound and um, you know, maybe were kind of caught in between of like, oh, what are they going to be? Who are they? Like in three years at Louisville, they're probably going to be star type player. Like who who they are, we're going to figure out uh, what they can do. I, I feel like sometimes those two-way players, like Jared Poland, I, I guess I can't just keep saying they're all going to be stars because like we know that that's not how this works. But um, Jared Poland came in few years ago as a two-way player and took him a couple years but ultimately found like a really prominent spot on their pitching staff and was a good player for them and like maybe that's what's going to happen with with uh Forbes and Pippen like I mentioned I just a a number of players that really fit the kind of profile that Louisville knows how to develop that that has a lot of history at coming good at Louisville and and so I, I I'm I'm pretty optimistic about what this Louisville class can be Um, slightly down, jumping to five on the, on the rankings, you have Oregon. Now, Oregon is the top Pac-12 class this year. And so, first of all, I just find it interesting that a lot of the Pac-12 schools have been recruiting really well lately. Uh, not necessarily putting in, like, stacking top 10 class after top 10 class, but, you know, UCLA was the number one class in the country a year ago. Oregon checks in at number five this year. Oregon State was really high a year ago. Stanford uh, has been in the top 10 recently and is pretty good at stacking top 25 classes. Um, So first of all, like the Pac-12 seems like they're recruiting pretty well. But secondly, this Oregon class, Mark Wazikowski has not been back in Eugene terribly long. This is kind of the first big class that they've had. And it's, uh, it's a really impressive one both in terms of depth and uh, and high-end talent. It's really good in terms of hitters, which is not surprising. Um, you know, They kind of need that right now, just given what they've turned over the last couple of years. And that's also what Mark Wazikowski's specialty is. So like them finding good hitters, like I'm pretty excited about the idea that they went out and found position players that they think they can, can turn into, uh, into regulars and more in that Ducks lineup. There's a lot of excitement about this. You and I, you and I have both heard uh, that this is that this coaching staff um, is is really excited about this this group. So it's no surprise to see them 
them here at five. Some interesting things here, just just for me too, is it's another class that's a couple of guys with some you know big league bloodlines. Jackson Jaha, the son of uh, or Brewer Slugger John Jaha, and Turner Spoljarek, Paul Spoljarek's kid. Um, so you've got you've got that there, and it's it is an interesting kind of big picture um, observation you made about the Pac-12, just because there is a lot of obviously the football and the realignment part of it is a whole separate thing. But even in baseball, we've done a lot of hand wringing about the West coast, but, but you're right. And it's not just, it'd be one thing if it was just UCLA and they were putting together top 10 classes, although I guess UCLA will soon be a big 10 program as weird as that is. And I have to keep reminding myself, but it's not just one program doing this. Like there is a pretty good swath of of programs, in the PAC 12 that are carrying their weight here. And, you know, Oregon is, is, um, you know, we know that Mark Wozikowski is 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 a a very good recruiter and has a good um, reputation that way. And and we had questions though about hey, as as a head coach, like we saw that he got Purdue going pretty quickly with a veteran group, and then you know he moved on to Oregon before he was a, really able to kind of rebuild Purdue there. But you know, you may remember, listener, that if you've really been listening to us for a few years, like. I think on a recruiting podcast in some way, we talked about one of the late Wazikowski recruiting classes at Purdue. Um, they had some guys they lost to the draft and had some guys with some buzz there. And so he was doing some things there and didn't get to see it come to fruition. And I say all that to say, we went into last year talking about, okay, how does, how does Oregon kind of build on hosting in 2021? The 2022 team was good again. It, it didn't quite live up to that standard, but it was right there in the PAC 12 again. And, and now with this talent influx, I think you start to look up and, and you start to look at Oregon as, Hey, maybe this is, maybe this is the next club in the, in the PAC 12, um, to be in that upper crust group with obviously now Stanford and, and Oregon state and, and UCLA. Um, the, the road is going to get a little bit harder for those upwardly mobile PAC 12 teams, because I think Oregon, which had been prior to Wazikowski a little bit down, um, I think those days are, are, are looks like they're coming to an end anyway. Oklahoma State is uh, in here in the top 10 at number eight. Uh, they, of course, lost the number one overall pick in the draft in Jackson Holiday. Um, but they did a lot of work late to, you know, kind of they realized Jackson Holiday was not going to come. Uh, you know, I, th- I think they do that. And so they were able to get in there and get a couple players that became available following coaching changes and they're really high-end players. They added uh, Nolan Schubert, who'd been committed to Michigan um, until Eric Backage left. And they added Bull Sylvester, who'd been committed to Washington until uh, Lindsey Meggs retired. And both of those guys added, you know, uh, they did a good job at really retaining their talent other than holiday through the draft. And then they added those guys and, so I was just impressed by the way that they worked and they they have the number one Big 12 recruiting class. Yeah, just quickly on Oklahoma State. I mean, and they've had some, you know, staff changes throughout the, their time. I mean, Justin Seeley hasn't been there that long. But I think under Josh Holiday, one thing that Oklahoma State has done really well is that they seem to be pretty savvy about using recruiting to not necessarily, I, I don't mean fill needs on the roster, all of that is also true, but I mean, there are years when they lean a little harder into traditional recruiting and they're, I mean, last year they were really in on the transfer portal and some years they're a little more feels like Juco heavy. And some years they're a little more heavy on raw arms, high school arms. They seem to do a pretty, they're not, 
they don't just have one path is I guess what I'm saying. They do a pretty good job of kind of understanding what each class should do and what each class should be because they don't, from year to year, it feels like Oklahoma State's classes look a little bit different, um, but they're always highly ranked and they're always well thought of. And so I, I think that is a real testament to that staff that they have a good feel for kind of what they're looking for and how it fits into what they're doing. I think that's right. And, um, you know, they certainly have done a good job recruiting kind of overall under under Josh Holiday, but now, especially with Obrey built, uh, excited about what that could mean for the program moving forward as well. Um, so those are like the four conferences that are represented in the rankings, which is kind of crazy. Uh, Michigan was on track to have a ranked class until Eric Backage left and that class disintegrated. Um, several of them followed him to Clemson, but not everyone. Obviously, I've already mentioned Nolan Schubert going elsewhere. Um, Rutgers maybe has the best class in the Big 12, which is kind of crazy on its own, but it wasn't a top 25 class, obviously. And, you know, you look at some of the other conferences that occasionally breakthrough the American most notably I it's just been another like we, we talk about this in so many ways talent and power and everything else in college baseball and college sports overall is just getting increasingly consolidated in the power conferences and uh, that's reflected here in this year's recruiting rankings again which means you would expect that for the next couple of years, that's going to be reflected on the field as well. Now that it doesn't completely work like that, you know, Southern Miss will have unearthed some gems or developed some gems that we just aren't recognizing right now. Uh, and that's just them as an example. It could be Grand Canyon. It could be San Diego. It could be Kent state. It could be anyone. It's going to happen somewhere, but by and large, the major conference schools continue to get it done at a level above even the good quality, consistent mid-major programs. Yep. That's true. And, you know, stars to use the phrase in college football recruiting stars matter. Um, but they're not the be all end all, like you talk about. And I think there's even some, some mobility within the power conference programs that we see here. Right. I mean, we talked about it before, so we don't need to belabor it, but you know, Duke is, has a ranked class again, and that's something that five or certainly certainly 10 years ago, but even five years ago, we probably would have thought was crazy, right? Um, you know, in some programs like Clemson, for example, that have put gl- good classes together, they're not, they're not new to this, but the results in the field haven't necessarily matched that. And so that's a program that's kind of looking to pick themselves up by the bootstrap. So there's, there's that. And so you, you do kind of get some variability within that. So, um, but yes, it is, you know, there's, there's no stray BYU in this group. Like, you know, BYU was had a ranked class a couple of years ago. There's, there's nothing, nothing like that here. Um, and that's just the way the world, um, that's kind of the the way all of this is heading. But, um, but again, it, it doesn't, the beauty of it is, is, is it's not going to play out like this. And that's why we play the games. And and that's why it's fun is, you know, we can sit here and, and these are, these are going to be 25 of the most talented teams in college baseball over the next handful of years. And not just because of these recruiting classes, but in general. But uh, it's not going to play out that way on the field, and that's um, that's that's why we why, why we enjoy it. It would be a lot less fun if if this was literally how we determine national champions. It would be incredible though if somebody gave that, that kind really, of power. That really would be. They're like, you know what? Let's just call it. Although if there was going to be any year, it might be this year where it's like LSU has done what they've done. Where it's like, you know what? Let's just let, let's just put uh, LSU in the 
AL Central or something and just see what happens, you know, um, and let, let the other teams fight it out. But but yes, I mean, it's it's going to be a lot more fun to actually see this stuff play out. And uh, it will soon enough. Uh, and, and, you know, that's also part of why we re-rank classes, not just to squeeze the recruiting, uh, you know, juice one more time. It's because it is something of a legitimate exercise to look and say, like, all right, I did this based on hype, based on expectations, but here it is based on reality, um, you know, and recognize the difference between those two. And hopefully we all learn something along the way, but that is part of the reason why we look back at the classes and we don't just look ahead with the recruiting classes. We look back at the re-rank. So check back in in like four years, five years, and we'll, uh, we'll have this class re-ranked. A lot of baseball to be played before that can happen, though, and we'll have it all covered for you over at Baseball America in the magazine, on the website, baseballamerica.com, and here on the podcast, which we are continuing to do weekly throughout the offseason. So make sure you're subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We've been doing a clubhouse conversation series where we invite on a guest from around college baseball. Um, Been a couple of weeks since we did one due to various scheduling things, but we'll be back with another uh, episode in that series next week. Uh, So look for that again in your favorite podcasting app. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And uh, until next week, we want to thank you all for listening for Joe. I'm Teddy. We'll see you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.